It carries 170,000 vehicles a day, plus 1,000 buses. And there's a panoramic view across the Waitamata Harbour. When we think about Auckland, um, there's no more iconic site than this one. Our beautiful harbour and the Harbour Bridge, which connects our city centre to the North Shore. But the bridge has issues, and not just capacity issues. Up until just a few years ago, Auckland's Harbour Bridge rarely closed. But as commuters will know more recently, it's a very different story. Some lanes on the Auckland Harbour Bridge have been closed due to strong winds. Met Service says gusts have reached 96 kilometres an hour at the peak and base of the bridge. It's unbelievable because there are probably 20,000 cars waiting to go across the bridge. What a bloody organisation is that? Did you know uh, that the Auckland Harbour Bridge wobbles when enough people walk on it? But that's uh, more than just a fun fact. The bridge wobbles so much that the transport agency says it could cause serious crushing injuries. Over the years, we've seen solutions proposed, costed, talked about. When Auckland Regional Council committees approved, in principle, building a bridge alongside the existing one, It'd join up with the transport agency has applied to protect land to build four separate tunnels. This is where they'd go, from Victoria Park in the city right under... The, the vision that we're setting out today includes separate road and rapid transit tunnels, reallocating lanes on the existing Auckland Harbour Bridge to walking and cycling, including two rapid transit routes to the North Shore. And then... Nothing happens. Torpedoed, the previous government's plan for a second Waitemata Harbour crossing uh, has been roundly rejected by Auckland Council. It would have cost $56 billion. Here's what Mayor Wayne Brown had to say about the plan. $56 billion, it's a wonder that grown-up people who can feed themselves and walk could come up with such a stupid number. Now, new Transport Minister Simeon Brown has sketched out a basic aim for more traffic lanes and nothing for cyclists or walkers. What the last government did is they gold-plated everything. Instead, he's told business and civic leaders the focus will be on providing extra lanes for traffic and enhancing the existing busway. But he was light on detail and also said the government wouldn't be rushing into decisions. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, the half a century of indecision and inaction over the Auckland Harbour crossing, and what could be the ideal solution? Our story begins with Dr Tim Welch, Auckland University Senior Lecturer in Transport, Architecture and Planning. He goes right back to when Auckland was in its early days. 1840. Auckland is a brand new city, essentially, and the first plans for a harbour crossing are are put together. Uh, some ideas that we could just have a floating bridge that's kind of a drawbridge, and we could get uh, livestock, cattle across into the city from the North Shore. Uh, that never happened. And then the next one is a rail bridge it's for steam trains to get across. Uh, and that's kind of the start of the modern iteration of where the bridge might go. hundred years pass. Uh, we have car ferries and, and people ferries, and that's about it. And then in the 1940s, we start to really talk about its 
seriously. It looks like it's going to happen. Funding uh, is there. Essentially, plans arise. And then 1959 is the opening date of the new bridge. Such an occasion calls for celebration, and Aucklanders pack the streets to watch a procession that travels through the city, along the new southern approach motorway, and over the bridge to Northcote. So how did this design, free of tram tracks, cycleways or pedestrian paths, come about? Here's Simon Wilson, senior writer at the New Zealand Herald, who's been covering Auckland's transport woes for quite some time. If you go back to the 1950s, Auckland was a city where there was a very good comprehensive public transport system based on trams. Uh, and if you think, if you, if you know Auckland at all, you'll know there's quite a lot of wide streets, particularly running along the ridges uh, of the hills, uh, and they, all, they were all tramways. In the 1950s, Auckland made a decision to follow the American model best exemplified in Los Angeles of ripping out the public transport system, ripping up the tram tracks, uh, building motorways and expanding the city so we would sprawl. With nearly a fifth of New Zealand's population, Auckland's roads are becoming hopelessly inadequate to cope with the ever-increasing traffic. So a budget of seven million puts a new internal motorways project underway. We would create new suburbs where everyone would be able to have a quarter-acre section. Kids would have lots of room to play. Uh, and this was regarded as the kind of dream future of, of how people should live in a city. And having your own personal car was the way of the future? Personal car, the way of the future. This is the post-war rebuild period in the 50s. Um, an enormous explosion of private motor vehicles that accompanied uh, the motorways. Um, and in that context... Auckland decided to build a harbour crossing. The, prior to that, the, active, the life on the North Shore was pretty small scale, sort of village life. Uh, there weren't a lot of people living there. There wasn't a lot of economic activity there. Uh, but with a harbour crossing, it was recognised that that whole area, which is beautiful and has a lot of um, natural amenity that people do and really enjoy living in, the beaches and so on, uh, would become prime suburban territory. So... Uh, after an awful lot of fuss, planning, cost-cutting, um, and then determined development, uh, they built the Harbour Bridge. It opened in 1959. And it's a quite an odd design, isn't it, compared to, say, other straight designs? It's a very steep bridge. Uh, the government uh, of the day uh, and the... Um, uh, council of the day, you know, both were very, very worried about costs. So essentially, they built the cheapest bridge they could you know, they could develop. It was an engineer-driven exercise. It's it looks like a coat hanger. It has very few aesthetic feature uh, redeeming features. Yeah, you know. and uh, at a late stage uh, in the whole program, uh, they decided to cut out everything that wasn't necessary. What we now call value engineering, uh, and among the things they cut out was capacity for walking and cycling. I understand it was designed in that coat hanger way, as you call it, with a really steep incline up and down because ships had to go through to the Chelsea Sugar Factory or something? Like that? Um, there is only one reason why the ships need to go through, and it is for the Chelsea Sugar Factory. And it's a really, if you think about that, that's a really interesting example of, of one company being able to dictate uh, something that's important for the whole city. Uh, rather than move the uh, sugar refinery, uh, they built the bridge so that the ships carrying uh, goods for sugar uh, could pass underneath. You're right. So it ended up being a four-lane arched bridge. Here's Tim Welch. 
The original plan had seven lanes, and it had two lanes for walking and cycling, uh, along with vehicle lanes. And then we went through an austerity period uh, that was scaled back, and what we got was a car bridge. Well overcrowded is the recent Harbour Bridge, already carrying an average of 21,000 vehicles a day, a figure that wasn't supposed to be reached until 1977. It was functionally obsolete, which means it, it was structurally fine, but it wasn't serving its purpose uh, within a few years of being built. It was a really uh, popular crossing. People didn't want to put their cars on ferries anymore. And it really spurred the development of, of the North Shore. So it became suddenly really accessible. It became an easy commute. And suddenly people wanted to live there and have businesses there as well. And it, it couldn't serve the purpose. So 10 years passed, and we had to clip on additional lanes. 50,000 vehicles crossing daily causes heavy congestion. Extensions to the bridge were designed to ease the load. A Japanese firm won the contract to double the capacity of the bridge. The first girders arrived from Japan, 365 feet long, weighing 400 tons. They're called Nippon Clip-Ons, and uh, the original bridge is really also partially a Japanese design, uh, and then the, the, the clip-ons were added to, and, and literally they sound exactly what they are. They were bolted onto the sides of the bridge. If you cut your costs at the start, you then create problems later on, uh, because if you're going to fix that problem, uh, it's going to cost a lot more. Mm. And so uh, in the case of the Auckland Harbour Bridge, uh, they discovered straight away it wasn't big enough. Um, so by 1969, only 10 years later, uh, they had to double its capacity. In the 1970s, people were already saying, let's, uh, let's find a way to cycle or walk across. There were plans floated to have an undercarriage essentially under the bridge, uh, dangling below that you could walk across or cycle across. That never happened. Uh, and then just year after year, uh, plans for more bridges or tunnels or something else. When we see serious plans and alignments starting to take shape, uh, 1988 is kind of when that big proposal was floated the government came out excited. They said, we've got a plan. Uh, it's either going to be a bridge or it's going to be a tunnel. Uh, even though a tunnel idea was floated in the, in the 1920s um, as a way to kind of sink down underneath. Um, but this is when a, a real alignment started to take place that we would need a second crossing. The plan is to build the tunnel from the northern end of the Harbour Bridge to link with the southern motorway at Westhaven. This is a relatively new tunnelling method, which involves digging a trench in the seabed and then linking a series of sections from Northcote to St Mary's Bay. What happened to that? Nothing happened. Government changed, funding uh, was reprioritized, and uh, even though there's outcries that we can't wait another 20 years for another crossing, this has to happen, um, absolutely nothing happens until 1997. What was happening in 97? Another plan was drawn up, of course, uh, again in the shadow of the bridge uh, with lots of congestion. So at this point, uh, can travel over the bridge is just climbing year after year. Uh, so we've just seen growing levels of congestion. It hasn't peaked yet, but it's getting there. Um, and so another alignment was floated. A lot of plans were drawn up, and then absolutely nothing happened again. Yeah, so that was 97. 2003... Another idea. Six years pass, and we have the idea to have a heavy rail tunnel. 
Uh, so heavy rail is kind of the commuter rail we see right now in Auckland that's buried underground, big train cars. And then they'll run that up the North Shore and another bridge to carry cars um, and maybe, if we're lucky, some cycling and, and pedestrian traffic. So a couple of bridges in that proposal. That's right. And what's really notable about the 2003 example is that that was going to be done for a cost of about $4.5 billion in today's dollars. Um, and then 20 years later is when we float almost the exact same plan, and it's $45 billion, a 10 <laughs> times increase in the cost. The government's wanting to build two five to six kilometre long three-lane tunnels under Waitamata Harbour, one in each direction for cars and trucks. They'd connect between the central Auckland motorway and Akaranga on the north shore. And to be built after at least one of the road tunnels is finished, a separate 21-kilometre light rail tunnel going from Wynyard Quarter to Albany. Once both road tunnels are finished, two lanes on the existing Harbour Bridge would turn into dedicated bus lanes and a set of outside lanes repurposed for cycling and walking. So that was last year. But in between 2003 and 2023, there were other ideas too, weren't there? Yeah, I mean, we started to get really creative. We floated literally hundreds of ideas. Uh, consultants came in and drew up their own plans. They were voted on, voted out. Uh, but with each change of government or uh, every time funding priorities change, uh, they got thrown out the window. And there was also this idea by John Tumahiri back when he was going for mayor in 2019, making it into a two-level superstructure. An Auckland mayoral candidate is promising to build the city a new 18-lane, double-decker harbour bridge that carries cars, trucks, trains, buses, bikes and pedestrians. John Tamahiri says he can build it in six years, but he doesn't know what it'll cost or who will pay for it. Yeah, I mean, there's been all sorts of ideas, uh, and a lot of those have been nixed because of concerns over the overall strength of the bridge. It's had to be strengthened a few times. Um, it, it's still, it's not something that's ever really in the near future at risk of collapsing, but it is also an aging structure. Yeah. Um, it's it's well into its lifespan. Uh, so all these ideas of adding heavier and, and more weight to it uh, can technically put the, the bridge at risk. Mm. So a lot of those plans have come out, but uh, for engineering reasons and other reasons, they've been cancelled. The sky path as well, what was that all about? Auckland Council has greenlit the controversial Harbour Bridge, Sky Path, Cycle and Pedestrian Crossing. Right around the 2010s, uh, there was an idea that maybe we could clip on to the clip-ons. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds crazy, you know, saying that, but in reality, those clip-ons are pretty strong. Uh, and a number of firms, consulting firms, have said, engineering firms have said that they're strong enough that we could probably put on light traffic on the ends. So they decided they'll they'll create the sky path, uh, which is an extra wide clip-on for bikes and pedestrians. Uh, the consenting went through; it, it was all passed. Uh, land, the right of way, was purchased. Houses were purchased. People were were moved out. We still own that land. Um, so. All the right-of-way still exists, and then uh, then it got cancelled. Why did it get cancelled? Well, there were issues, apparently, with, with some of the structural integrity of the bridge. They reevaluated it, thought maybe this bridge uh, can't handle the load. The brakes might be on the long-awaited walking and cycling path across the Auckland Harbour Bridge because of fundamental technical issues. People were concerned about... What happens if we start to invest all this money in, in bikes and cycling? People are going to be angry that are in cars when they're stuck in congestion. So it's really a mix of things.
It's all just emotional arguments, really. <laughs> it is. And that's really kind of the crux of a lack of a second crossing. It's not financial. It's political. It's We could pay for this. We could have paid for this a long time ago. Uh, but the political winds keep changing. So it really comes down to decision-making more than it does financial uh, sense. So in 2024, we have essentially the same harbour crossing as we had in 1969. Simon Wilson again. It's a new government now. Uh, they have said there will be a new harbour crossing. Uh, it will be for cars and it will be for an enhanced northern busway. Um, but they haven't said whether it will be tunnels or, or a new bridge. So that's the new Transport Minister Simeon Brown said that, didn't that's he? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And he said that just, just the other day at a um, committee for Auckland speech? Yeah, so I was at that at that um, meeting where he made that speech. He, he announced um, firstly that the focus would be on cars, more more capacity for cars. Secondly, there would be that enhanced northern busway. In other words, there would not be any light rail option, which is something that Labour had proposed. Um, and thirdly, uh, there was no chance that there would be any cycling or, or walking uh, infrastructure or capacity on whatever they built. What was the reaction to that? Um, <laughs> it was a polite meeting, I guess. Polite reaction, but... What is Simeon Brown's logic behind that? The logic appears to be that if we have congestion on the roads and therefore we need more roads to carry the pressure from extra private vehicles. Um, and in addition to that, we do know that the weather's getting wilder in Auckland. Uh, we do know there have been resilience issues with the bridge in the past. A, a truck crashed into a, a strut holding up part of it a few years back and that closed the bridge for some time. Lanes of the Auckland Harbour Bridge could be out of action for several weeks after a freak gust of wind toppled two trucks, causing damage to the bridge's superstructure. So we know that there is a, a question of what happens if the bridge, the existing bridge, becomes dysfunctional or can't operate for a period of time, uh, how disruptive will that be? So those are the, those are the reasons why um, governments have always looked at uh, an additional crossing. But he says prioritising extra car capacity over public transport creates more congestion. Tim Welch has looked at what's happened elsewhere. We could just go right across the ditch, of course, to Sydney. Uh, and Sydney, the Sydney Harbour Bridge, really famous. Uh, that accommodates both rail traffic, vehicle traffic, uh, has a cycleway and pedestrian traffic. So it accommodates all of this. You've yeah. got tunnels underneath too, don't they? That's right. They have multiple crossings as well. Uh, but that bridge has been you know, retrofitted to accommodate a lot of different types of traffic. Uh, and so that's one example of where we've been able to put a lot more stuff on the bridge. And the same thing has happened in, let's say, in New York with the Brooklyn Bridge. It's actually a smaller bridge in terms of width than the Harbour Bridge. But they've also been able to put recently a two-direction cycleway on the bridge. Uh, and also above the bridge, they have a walking uh, path as well. So it accommodates multiple forms of, of transport. And the Manhattan Bridge, which is just a little ways away from that, also has a cycleway and space for trains and cars. Um, so there's, there's a lot of multimodalism. And even if we go over to, let's say, Scotland, on the Firth of Forth uh, um, is a big crossing outside of Edinburgh. Uh, they have three bridges, and, and some of them have been around for over 100 years. One is a dedicated rail crossing. Uh, one used to be for cars, and it's been switched over to public transport and walking and cycling. And then they have another bridge for a motorway. And they've been able to do this you know, in the same time frame that we've been debating 
whether we should even have another crossing. <laughs> what do you think is different from New Zealand to all these other countries? Part of what it is, is I think we're trying to complicate things too much. Uh, we want these ideas of grand projects and big builds, uh, nation-shaping infrastructure, when really we could just do things a lot simpler. Uh, and so we get caught up in the details, caught up on these big plans, uh, and they're multi-decade projects that just doesn't align well with how funding really works at, at the national scale, at the regional scale. Uh, and then they fall by the wayside because we just don't have the momentum to carry through with these big projects. We've got big eyes for big infrastructure, but we're a smaller country and maybe maybe we should look at smaller projects as a way forward. Auckland isn't the only place that can't sort out its crossings. We have trouble crossing, you know, down to the our the South Island from the North Island, and we've we've seen the the troubles there. There's a shortage of uh, secondhand ships, and there's a huge queue if you want a new ship built to fit into our specifications. So we're saying, look, less than 15 years old, because you know we're worried about Cook Straits, one of the world's most dangerous crossings. There's not a great example of multimodalism. We have some bridges. There's in Taronga, we have kind of a causeway that crosses over uh, that has cycle lanes and um, and walking paths. We do have a second harbor crossing. Um, so we have the upper harbor crossing, and that does have uh, a cycleway attached to it as well. Um, and that's handled a lot of the, the excess traffic from the bridge over the years. It's so far away from the city, though. But it is far away. Yeah, it's not ideal. Um, but yeah, we don't have a great list of examples to pull from in the country. But did you know, Harbour Bridge traffic actually peaked back in 2018, and it's been falling a bit since then. Why is that? A dedicated busway runs alongside a motorway that's usually jammed morning and night with commuter traffic. The busway connects with five purpose-built stations between Takapuna and Albany, and they'll connect with a new neighbourhood feeder service. Uh, it's been a huge success. So 50% of the peak hour traffic over the bridge is by public transport. Mm. And so while it, it might seem counterintuitive, what we could do is build nothing but repurpose some lanes. So we could repurpose a lane for uh, the busway because we don't have a way to get our dedicated bus lanes across the bridge quickly. Uh, so we put more people in public transport. We can dedicate a lane to walking and cycling. And there's great examples across the world of where we've reduced the amount of lanes on a road or a bridge, and it's actually improved traffic because what's holding up traffic on the bridge is not the bridge itself, but all all the roads that were built in the 1950s to only accommodate a four-lane bridge. They're the kind of the choke points. It's not the bridge itself. This 50 years of inaction, really, 50 years of nothing happening, how do you think we can get this done and not wait another 50 years and actually build a second harbour crossing or improve the current one? You could say there are some principles you could operate with this, and one of them is you need to look at the, the cheap alternatives hard to know whether they're going to be good enough you know, before you go to the super expensive one. Which is not to say cheaper will be better. Cheaper will be better is a theory that get, got us into trouble with the Harbour Bridge in the first place. But you need to look at them properly. You, know, you need to make the best use of existing resources. Again, this is something that Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown uh, is very strong on. Are we doing the best with our rail? Are we doing the best in managing freight on the roads? Uh, can we do a lot to resolve our traffic problems in, in Auckland, including the Harbour Bridge, uh, by better management of, of freight? Yeah, particularly big issue. 
Um, and then you need to, if there are quick options and you can do trials, do them. And if you're talking about things like walking and cycling on the bridge, uh, there are, have always been proposals to take a lane or and there is a proposal that you wouldn't even take, need to take a lane, you make the outside lane slightly narrower and that would create a capacity for walking and cycling cheap to do, you can try it, you can see if it works, if it doesn't work uh, then you know and you haven't wasted an awful lot of time and money, but there's been real reluctance to to think like that in transport planning. You've got to integrate your transport planning with other things like housing um, and of course you've got to build for the future. It's very hard to build for the future. That's it for today. Thanks to our guests Tim Welch and Simon Wilson. The detail is funded through RNZ and NZ On Air. This episode was engineered by William Saunders. It was produced by Alexia Russell and Davina Zimmer. I'm Tom Kitchen. Ma te awa.